Tower is part of, and it's great to be back to worship with you guys, to be able to proclaim God's Word. If you would take a copy of your scriptures and turn with me to the book of James. We're going to be jumping into James chapter 3 as we're continuing our series through this wonderful uh, book. James chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12, and we want to Uh, As John has already mentioned, welcome our online uh, presence and ask that you would engage with us this this, this morning as we jump into the text as well. So hear the word of the Lord. James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that, those who, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue. It's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, one blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word abides forever. And so, Lord Jesus, we're asking that you will speak through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts for how we have not bridled and tamed our tongue. But, Lord, show us Jesus this morning. Show us grace. Show us the power from you, Holy Spirit. That through you, we can tame our tongues. We ask you things in Christ's name. Amen. I never thought when we were going together that he would talk to me the way he does now. I can't believe what I'm hearing when my son talks to me. She hung up on me right in the middle of a sentence. My parents never talk to me unless I'm in trouble. He only talks to me nicely when he wants something. He talks so much, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I'm not comfortable the way she talks about other people. It seems like we never have enough time to talk. He talked a long time, but I don't have a clue what he was trying to say. Why do we always seem to end in an argument? What happened? We seem to be so close, and now... We hardly ever talk. I feel like I spend my whole day breaking up my kids' arguments. 
Yes, he asked for my forgiveness, but I'm having a hard time letting go of the hurt. What he said was so cruel. I wish our family could go through an entire day without someone yelling. I don't know why I waste my time talking. It doesn't seem to make a bit of a difference. We'll never get to the bottom of things if everyone keeps talking at once. She always has to have the last word. He talks so sweetly to me when we're in public. Sometimes I think it would be better if we quit talking altogether. I can imagine that you can relate to one or more of those phrases. Either as the person who has been on the side of being abused or being sort of targeted in that language, or the person who is actually guilty communicating that way. I gotta say, I mean, this is a this is a sobering passage. It's a sobering passage for me, for someone who struggles with his tongue to be able to proclaim God's word. As a matter of fact, James hits it hard from the beginning to people like me in verse one. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teaches will be judged with a greater strictness. Ben, is this why you want me to preach this this week? I can see why I I think I know you. I, I get you. All right? Charles Spurgeon has some great advice. If there's anything else you can do other than ministry, then do it. And here's another example of it. Because taming the tongue is hard. It's hard for your preachers. It's hard for your elders. Maybe James is trying to say, church, kind of be, be a little bit more easy on your elders. Because their, their judgment's coming, right? There's a greater strictness. So this is a sobering passage for us as preachers and teachers and elders. Because we all struggle with the tongue. But hey, guess what? You're not let off the hook. Real quickly, jumps in to verse 2. He says, hey, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. We're all guilty. We all can relate in some way to one of those phrases or even more. You might be saying, it sounded like Brian tapped into my home this week or this morning as we're getting ready for church. Taming the tongue seems to be this impossible task. Nevertheless, James lays out the goal. Listen to what James says. He says, we all stumble in many ways, but the goal here is to not stumble, and if one not stumbles, then he is a perfect man. That's a little bit confusing. It sounds like he's saying he's without sin, but the idea is that he's going to become mature. The one that that is able to tame his tongue is one who who reaches not a, a level of sanctification where he doesn't sin, but where he's maturing in his faith. The goal is to be mature in your faith where you can have control over your tongue. We just looked in the last passage of chapter 2, this whole idea of faith and works. And James says something strongly there in verse 26. He says, faith without works is dead. So bridling our tongue and taming our tongue doesn't save us, but what James is saying is that it is fruit of salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says something even stronger earlier in this, in this letter. He says in verse, chapter 1, verse 26, he already introduced this idea of the tongue, and listen to what he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now that's strong language, and what James is trying to say here is there's a lot of people out there claiming Jesus, but if you don't care about what you say and how you say it, and you don't really care about your tongue, you're like, I don't care, I just love Jesus, I'm just going to do whatever I want, you need to check yourself, you need to check your religion. Because James says it may be worthless. 
However, I think most of us, hopefully here this morning, are humbled by a passage like this. We know that we struggle. We know we are guilty. This is an area of life that we are fighting against. One day we think we've got victory, another day we blow it. And if that is you this morning, then I want you to see what James has to say. And I think there's two things he's trying to lay out, kind of two main points in this passage. The first one is this, you can't tame your tongue. You don't have the ability to tame your tongue. Okay, he really lays it in that big time. But the second thing is this, your tongue can be tamed. Okay? You can't tame your tongue, but more importantly, your tongue can be tamed. Sounds like Pastor Doublespeak, doesn't it? Well, let's jump in and see what James is talking about. We can't tame our tongue, verses 3 through 10. Why can't we tame our tongue? James says, one, he says, it is incredibly powerful. Our tongue is powerful. And he compares our tongue to two different illustrations I think a lot of us get. One, he says, you know, it's, it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. We can take about a five-inch piece of metal and put it in a horse between its teeth. And I'm not a horse guy, I've ridden horses, but I get that. I think a lot of us get it. You can take that piece of metal, put it in the horse's teeth, and you can direct the horse 1,000, 2,000 pounds by this small piece of five-inch metal wherever you want the horse to go. Okay, that has power. A small thing like a bit has power with this massive horse. We kind of, I think we, we get that. Then he uses the illustration of a rudder on a ship. When I was training for ministry, I was working youth ministry, I had a chance to do a Bible study on a 40-foot sailboat in the Chesapeake Bay with these junior hires doing this passage in God's providence. And it was so cool to be able to talk about the practical reality of a rudder on a ship and how it directs the ship. One of the uh, authors, as I was studying, talked about the uh, USS Eisenhower. The USS Eisenhower is an aircraft carrier. It weighs 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet in length. Nuclear power, 280,000 powered horsepower engine. It's got a crew of 6,100 men and women, carries about 100 aircraft. It's huge. It's like a city on the sea. And yet, all that weight is steered by a rudder that's just a tenth of 1% of the ship's size. Isn't that crazy? That small, in comparison, that small rudder is able to direct and move that massive city on the sea in this aircraft carrier. Paul says, your tongue is like that. It's small. Your tongue is small, but yet it is mighty. It is powerful. Your tongue is, is a half a percent of your body's weight, yet it can take you in all different directions. It has power. It has power. Now, James is like the New Testament correlation of the book of Proverbs, because James talks about wisdom and practical living, just like the Proverbs does. And listen to what the Proverbs says. One of the many things it says about the tongue, this is Proverbs 18.21. This is the message version, which sometimes I like to use. Listen to what God's Word says through the message. He says this, Proverbs 18.21, if you're taking notes, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You see, your tongue is small, but it's mighty. It either can give life 
or give death, either poison or fruit of life. In other words, our talk is not cheap. There are great consequences for how we speak. Our tongues are powerful. We can either be like we're on that horse galloping through this incredible vast open space or we can be heading right to a cliff going right over in our tongues. We can be like that ship on the sea sailing the great seas or we can be heading right to an iceberg ready to crash. Our tongues cannot be tamed because they're incredibly powerful and too often it's the latter course of destruction that we find ourselves in. And that's the second point he says Our tongues can't be tamed also because they are incredibly dangerous. Our tongues are incredibly powerful, but our tongues are incredibly dangerous. Look with me to what he says in the latter part here of verse 5. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. How how, how little of a blaze. I think we've all been watching the wildfires in California, now in Colorado. And it's, unfortunately, it's easy, just like when hurricanes come here and they're seeing us, it's easy just to sort of see that online and, and not put ourselves in. But so many people have lost their lives. And I found it interesting, I learned, learned this week that the El Dorado fire in Southern California uh, has scorched about 10,574 acres. Massive wildfire, one of the biggest fires they have, was caused by a firework that was set off at a gender reveal party. You got to feel bad for those people. Something so harmless, like a firework at a gender reveal party, has set that whole acres and acres ablaze. Y'all, it only takes one little spark. Our tongues are that dangerous. A careless, harmless word can set a whole relationship, a whole household on fire. Our language, our words are dangerous. James says it sets among our members, uh, the tongue is set among our members, it stains the whole body. The tongue has a capacity for evil like no other part of our body. That's why the book of Proverbs talks about the tongue all the time and how you use the tongue. Don't misuse the tongue. Notice you don't see in the Bible it talks about the elbow or the big toe and how dangerous it is. No, it's the tongue. The tongue uniquely has a danger and it's misuse. He says it sets on fire the entire course of life. If you, look in your, if you have a footnote in your Bible, it says the whole wheel of life is set on fire by the tongue. From the, from the cradle to the grave, we struggle with the tongue. It is destructive. Kids, it makes me think about when I was in school and just using sarcasm, just careless words. And I would say these, these just sarcastic things to people and just kind of laugh it off like it was innocent, like that little spark from that firework. And this one time I, I said something, I don't remember what I said, but it was, I'm sure it was cruel, and I was just trying to be funny. I was being sarcastic. And I said something to this girl in my class. And I could tell it really hurt her. And so what did I do? Oh, I was just joking. And she said, no, you're not. You say that all the time, but you're not joking. Whoa. The Holy Spirit grabbed me, and she was right. She was right. Essentially, what she, through the Holy Spirit, said through her is that you are trying to cover your sparks by saying you're joking, 
but your words are destructive. Later on, the Lord gave me this, showed me this passage. Another proverb, you need to write this down. This is heavy. Proverbs 20, especially if you're like me. Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. Listen to what this says. Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. I'll say that again. Like, like a madman, like a crazy man shooting arrows of death, flaming arrows of death is like one who deceives his neighbor and says, I was just joking. I was just joshing. Just a goof. No, it's not. It's dangerous. It's destructive. Whew. Sobering. Convicting. Again, not many of us should be teachers. It's a heavy passage. Verse 8. No human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It is a restless evil. It is an animal that is restless, that can't be caged. He says we can tame every other animal out there, but no man can tame the tongue. We can teach dolphins to play basketball and crazy things like that. We have Tiger King, Tiger King of all things, right? Crazy stuff. And yet we can't even tame our tongue. That's how dangerous our tongue is. The verb that James uses here, damazo, is a word that's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's only used uh, other than this passage in, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament in Mark chapter 5, which is the story of the Gerasian demoniac. I mean, that just shows you how dangerous the demonic our tongues can be. It says about this, this man who was demon-possessed, he, he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to tame him. All right? That gives a whole new perspective on her tongue. It's destructive. It's dangerous. And then he gives this example in verse 9. He says, this is how screwed up our tongue is. In one sense, we can praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then we can curse our neighbor. Right? we got this whole double speak going on. We're talking out both sides of our mouth. Now, if you're Southern, you can do it in one phrase. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, bless you. Bless his little heart. Right? I don't know if you are familiar with this phrase. You may think someone is invoking God's blessing upon you in love. And I'll say this. If you're a child, probably so. They're looking at you saying, oh, bless your little heart. You're so cute. But if you're a teenager above, really what they mean is, you're an idiot. Right? Bless his little heart. He's so stupid. Right? That's what Southerners do. I'm sorry to let you know. But this is, that's a little secret for you. If someone says, oh, bless your heart, it's not a compliment. Right? They are criticizing you. They're saying, oh, is, aren't they so naive? Aren't they so dumb? I used that illustration once, and this lady got so mad at me. She said, every single time I say, I mean that. Of course, I thought, bless your heart. But I didn't say it because, you know, I tame my tongue. So, so be careful. Okay. But in all seriousness, he says something here that I think is so important. In verse 9, he says, you know, we bless the Lord the Father with our uh, tongue, and then we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And I think James is hitting it home right here. He's saying this, your words are so dangerous that you can use them to actually seek to dehumanize someone in your words. 
to strip them of their dignity, value, and worth. Even though they're made in the image of God just like you, you can use your words to try to empower yourself and to be able to set you apart from them by lowering them. Let me give you an example of this. We all know the atrocities of the Nazis in the concentration camp. These were shame factories where the Nazis absolutely worked to dehumanize Jews. But what you may not know is that among their methods, one of their methods was constantly calling Jews a piece of you-know-what. Because this, they knew that the language of shame was so extreme that if you heard it enough, you would start believing it was true. Unfortunately, we see that to be true throughout our own history and how we've treated our brothers and sisters in Christ that look different than us, ethnically different. In our own country, that we've used such language of shame and racism to an entire group of people. And yet, in all these cases, we see, particularly in the South, the church often defending such language of shame from scriptures. Our language is dangerous. It's, it's powerful. And I know that what I'm about to say is somewhat different from the uh, Nazi concentration camps and language of racism we've seen in our own country, but you know, I think this whole political season, this whole COVID era, mask, no mask, you know, wherever you stand on the whole aisle, I, I, I'm hearing a lot of this dehumanizing language. That I am better than you. I'm right. I have dignity and you don't because you don't believe in what I believe. And that ought not be so. Is there any hope, brothers and sisters? It almost sounds like James is proclaiming defeat here. Is there any hope? Can our tongues be tamed? Well... Not by our own power, but our tongues must be tamed. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. Excuse me, backing up to verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. James says, guys, this is not how it was all designed. This ought not be so. It almost, you know, and it's not just a, you know, him coming down on us, but I think he's really giving us hope here. I think what James is saying is that this is not part of God's design, and there is hope that things can be put back into order. Our language has become disjointed like a bone, a broken bone, and it's got to be put back into joint. It's got to be put back into order. Which makes you kind of think, well, if that's true, what was the original design? Our language. What was the original design? Well, I was reading this week a book uh, called The War of Words by Paul Tripp. And listen to what Paul Tripp has to say about our words. He says, you don't really understand the importance of words until you realize that the first words that the human ears ever heard were not the words of another human being, but the words of God. The value, this is so important, the value of every piece of human communication is rooted in the fact that God speaks. God created our talk. He gave it its value and power. You want to know why your words are so powerful? 
It's because they come from the almighty, powerful God. And then he says this, and this just floored me this week. Just really gave me a whole new perspective about my own communication. He says this. He says, therefore, our words belong to the Lord. Our words belong to the Lord. He has lent them to us so that we might know him and be used by him. This means that our words do not belong to us. Do you hear me, church? Your words that come out of your mouth do not belong to you. They belong to the Lord. How are you going to use what the Lord has given you? See, we talk about stewardship. We just talked about stewardship of money. Thank you, John. That was a blessing. It's encouragement. We talk about being good stewards of our body, about working out and eating right. But how often do you think about being a good steward of the very words that come out of your mouth? I don't think about that at all until this week. Do you understand the very words that come out of your mouth is a gift from the Lord? It's just, um, he's just loaned them to you. How are you going to use them? Kids, it's like if, if, if someone, uh, if, if one of your friends gives you a toy, a very valuable toy, something they love, and, and they say, hey, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to let you manage this. I'm going to let you sort of take care of it this summer. I'm going to go on a trip, and I want you to, to take this toy, and I want you to, 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 to be careful with it and treat it well, but I want you to enjoy it. And you were to take that toy, children, and you were just to throw it off the couch and throw it around and mistreat it. You wouldn't be a good manager of that toy, of that, of that gift that someone lets you use for a, for a summer, right? Give it back to the end, and they say, what happened? Oh, well, I just, I had fun with it. But it's now it's destroyed. Do you understand that that's what the Lord is saying here? I have given you speech. I have given you words. Those are my words that are in your mouth. How are you going to use them? Are you going to destroy others with them? Very, very convicting for me. Unfortunately, there was a second voice in that garden, was there not? There was a second voice in that garden, Genesis 3. The great deceiver said, did God really say? See what he did there? He said, listen, I know that the Lord said those are my words, but did he really say that? Don't you want to own your own words? Don't put words in my mouth. How often do we say that? Well, guess what? God put words in your mouth. See, when we say, don't put words in my mouth, we say, don't manipulate me. Don't try to speak for me. Well, one has spoken from you, but because of Genesis 3, we gave in to that lie that we own our own words. We gave in to that lie that said, I'm going to say whatever I want, and no one's going to tell me what to do. We gave in to that lie, and that's what makes our tongues so dangerous because we have forgotten who owns the words in our mouth, and we've sought to usurp the authority of the Creator. James says something really heavy there in verse uh, five, 6. He says, our tongues are set on fire by hell because we gave them that lie, and the evil one is the one who has convinced us that we can do whatever we want and say whatever we want. Well, there is hope, brothers and sisters. And the hope is in the gospel. There's lots of different ways that we could respond to this. I could say, okay, you know, here's seven strategies for speaking better. Now, 
There may be a lot of great, there's tons of books out there, how to speak better in, in a more loving and kind way. And I'm not saying that any of those techniques are bad. But the problem is, if you look at this passage and go, okay, what do I do, Pastor Brian? Now I've got to be a better person. Now I've got to dig down deep into my own strength, and I've got to tame my tongue. Did you hear what James said? You can't tame your tongue. You don't have the power. Your tongue is too powerful. It's too destructive. But your tongue can be tamed. You just don't have the power to do it. But the good news of the gospel says there was one who had the power. The Lord Jesus Christ came, and he came to deal with a bigger problem than even your tongue. Your tongue is so powerful, it's so destructive, but guess what? you got a bigger problem. Your bigger problem is your heart, right? Isn't this what Jesus said? Jesus in his ministry said it so clear. He said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from what? From the heart. And this defiles a person. Do you see why your tongues are so dangerous? Why they're so powerful? Because when we rebelled in the garden, our heart became sinful. Our heart became selfish. Our heart became dark. And Jesus says, I have come to give you a new heart. I have come to give you a new heart so that your tongue can be tamed. Your tongue can be bridled. And the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He is the only one. He is the God-man. See, you can't tame your tongue, but the God-man can tame your tongue. He came and he tamed his tongue. And he lived a perfect life. And he bridled his tongue. And he was able to do that. And because he lived a perfect life, and he came to give you not only a new tongue, but a new heart, you too can have power. And the Lord Jesus came. And he came to rescue you from the fire of hell. He came to rescue you from yourself. And he came. And listen to what Isaiah 53 talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he came to tame what no man can ever tame. He says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him smitten, 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 stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And listen to what Isaiah 53, this prophet, years and hundreds of years before Jesus came, he said this, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is set before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did not open his mouth. Of all people who could have said, this is not fair, I'm not dying for them, they don't deserve it, he didn't open his mouth, he went to the cross, why? So that he could come and deliver you from sin and give you the power to keep your mouth shut too. Peter says this, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, believers, you can't tame your tongue. You don't have the ability. You don't have the power. But you have to tap into another, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He has the power. Okay? Because He has defeated death. 
Because he's taken upon all your stupid words, all your careless language upon himself that he was stricken, he was smitten, he was afflicted, he took upon all your sins. And then he actually grants you and credits you his perfect record of never losing control over his tongue. And so the Father in heaven sees his righteousness. And therefore, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And guess what? He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he has now given you the ability and the power by his strength to tame your tongue. He's given you the Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it was represented by tongues of fire over the people. But these tongues weren't, weren't designed to go and destroy, but to actually proclaim the works of the Lord. You see, you, church, have a power in the Spirit of Christ to tame your tongue. Your tongues must be tamed. But when you blow it, and you will, matter of fact, you won't even get out of these doors, maybe, before you blow it. There's three little words you can say. Please forgive me. You can say it to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us. You need to say it to one another. Please forgive me. That's the beauty of the gospel. Please forgive me. His mercies are new every morning. And then one day, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will proclaim the Lord's glory. No more sin no more careless words, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, that temper of mine, forgive me. I let it get the better of me again. When will I ever learn to, to wait until I've heard the whole story, Lord? To respond under pressure as Christ would, to meet evil with good. Lord, I'm growing, but my growth is far too slow. Till up my life, Lord. Please break up the clods of my pride. Root out the weeds of selfishness. Lord, please, we ask that you plow under every vestige of stubbornness. Cultivate me and sow liberally more of the Spirit's fruit-bearing seed. Lord, we ask that you would send showers and storms, if need be, shine brightly on our souls. So then we will sprout forth patience and kindness, and love, and self-control, and abundance. And our tongues will learn to help and heal, and praise the name of the one through whom I pray. Amen.